kids, you are dismissed for Children's Church, so if you'd like to make your way to the back, we would invite you to do so. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. You know, when we look at approaches to a relationship with God, there are two extremes. One extreme is to say, nothing I do really matters to God because by His grace, I no longer have any rules or any stipulations placed upon me. I can do as I please. That extreme is called license. Nowhere is license taught in the Bible. We are under a stricter authority as followers of Jesus Christ who want to honor God because of His grace. And we are to be led by love and by what the Lord has revealed in His eternal Word. But there's another extreme, and that's the extreme of the legalist. The legalist in a quest to somehow come into a deeper and fuller relationship with God not only takes what God has revealed in His Word, but He adds to it. He decides that there are some rules that surely if God would have been aware of what's going on today, He would have made these rules. So we need to add to what God has said, and we need to put our own rules in place because we want to live righteous and holy lives. And so confusion comes in. Because you'll have one group that says these are the rules that everyone should live by in order to be closer to God. And then you'll have another group that has another set of rules. And they say these are the rules to live by in order for a person to be closer to God. And as a result, you get a lot of different directions. And all of them say stop. And all of them say don't. And we're left with no understanding of our Christian liberty because of God's grace. And we're left with confusion as to what rules apply and what rules don't. God is very clear in His Word about what we're to do. He shares with us in clear revelation how we're to live. And really, God's revelation does not need improvement by man. I read an interview that Charles Swindoll gave pertaining to legalism. I love Chuck Swindoll. He's one of my favorite pastors and preachers. And he shared this. The problem with legalists is that not enough people have confronted them and told them to get lost. Those are strong words, but I don't mess with legalism anymore. I'm 72 years old. What have I got to lose? Seriously, I used to kowtow to legalists, but they're dangerous. They're grace killers. They drive off every new Christian you bring to church. They are enemies of the faith. Other than that, I don't have any opinion. So if I'm trying to force my personal list of no-nos on you and make you feel guilty if you don't come join me, then I'm out of line, and I need to be told that. We see Jesus come into direct contact with rule makers. Not rule makers who took the Word of God and upheld it and said, the Word of God speaks truth and we need to do what God's Word says. That's not what they were doing. They were taking the Word of God and saying, sure, the Word of God says this, but it doesn't go far enough. 
So we need to supplement it. We need to interpret it for you so that you'll understand exactly what God means, even though he doesn't say that. Those were the legalists. And those were the ones that Jesus confronted. And you know, as I've studied the Gospels, you know what amazes me? Jesus had more concern about the legalists who were saying, I can earn a closer relationship with God by what I do than he had struggles with some of the more liberal ones. It's amazing that both are dangerous, but Jesus' interaction in his day had more challenges from those who said, I can grow closer to God by what I do. So I think there's important information as we look at the text before us this morning, important warnings about being careful not to go the way of the ritualist, the legalist, and avoiding the pitfalls that can come from doing that. Now, as we come to the first verse of this passage, we see that there's a ritualistic approach to following God that focuses only on the externals. And what we find with these Pharisees and and teachers of the law in verses 1 through 4 is, first of all, their total regard for man-made rules. And they regarded them as authoritative over everyone. They would come up with their lists of the you can and you can't, and they would apply them to everyone. Look at what takes place. Verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed, And the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Now, as we come to this text, in our day and age, if we're just reading this without the understanding of the historical context, it doesn't make much sense. Mark is not talking about personal hygiene. What he's talking about in this passage was a set of rules that the Pharisees added to God's law in order for them to say, I'm more righteous than you by what I do. And the danger that ensued because of it. You see, the Pharisees were not receptive of what Jesus had to say. Look again at the first verse. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law, now listen to how Mark frames this, who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus. Now, they weren't gathering around Jesus in order to hear what he had to say. As they gathered around Jesus, they were looking for a way to discredit him. Why? Because Jesus was a teacher of authority. He was proving he was the very Son of God by the teaching that he gave and by the miracles that he performed. And here's the problem. When it came to the teaching of Jesus, these ritualists couldn't out-argue Jesus. And furthermore, when it came to the miracles that he performed, he couldn't discredit those either. The ritualist who would come and try had a thousand other miracles that had taken place and a thousand other witnesses who had seen it. So what are they going to do? How are they going to discredit Jesus by his teaching? or by the works that he's done. They can't. So what do they do? 
they come in with the construct of their own traditions based upon the teachings of men. And they start to hold Jesus to the traditions and rules that they had made up to set him up and discredit him in the eyes of the people. Now Mark gives us an example of one of those rules right here in this text. Look at the second verse. As so often happens, the Pharisees aren't going directly against Jesus because he's gained in some popularity with the people. They go after his disciples. But by attacking the disciples of Jesus, in essence, they're attacking Jesus because he has responsibility for them. And he says this, We saw some of your disciples eating food with hands that were unclean. Now, once again, it doesn't mean that they came in with dirt all over their hands. The idea is the Pharisees set up an intricate ceremonial washing that would take place. And when you look at it at its core, it's problematic. The idea is this. When they were interacting with sinners and pagans, they became defiled And so, in order to demonstrate their own righteousness and the terrible nature of the sin that they had to rub elbows with by the common people, they would ceremonially wash their hands. They would scoop up a fistful of water and rub it over their hands ceremoniously as if saying, I've been with the scum of the earth and now I'm washing my hands of them. I'm demonstrating how righteous and set apart I am and how horrible and how terrible these other people are. It was a way of them, in essence, saying to everyone around them, I don't much like you. I think that you're terrible. And because I might have touched something that you touched, I am now washing my hands. Compare that with Jesus. When Jesus interacted with sinners, how did Jesus respond? Did he refrain from touching them? Did he refrain from interacting with them? Absolutely not. Jesus welcomed them. He opened his arms to them. He stated to them that he was there to provide forgiveness for their sin. And he called them to repentance, yes. But he didn't treat them as though they were the worst thing that ever walked this earth. He was reaching out to them in love. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, on the other hand, tried to stay as far away as they could. They would isolate themselves from others. There, wasn't arms, there weren't arms of welcome that would say to the lost, come but hands that would push them away and then wash after they had pushed them away. That's the impression that we get here. And that's what Jesus will speak out against in this passage of Scripture. Notice the fourth verse. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So they go to the marketplace, and they decide that they're going to purchase something. What's the first thing they do? They come, and they do a ceremonial washing of their hands, but then also a ceremonial washing of the utensils. Now, all of us probably wash stuff for hygienic purposes 
when we buy it from the store. I'm not about to say, I'm going to go to the store and pick up a pot and cook in it immediately without washing it. That's not the issue, though. It was what was behind the issue. The idea that it is somehow defiled because it has been near people who don't see things as we see them. And we're going to reject them because of it. It was a very, very outward way for the Pharisees to demonstrate their distaste for those around them. And it definitely promoted an us-and-them outlook. It was them saying, we are holy, you are not, stay away. You know, as Christians, there's such a tough balance between leading a holy life and reaching out to those who need to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And the problem is we fall into extremes. There are those who will isolate themselves and say, I want nothing to do with anyone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior because they're defiled and I don't want to be defiled by them, so I'm going to isolate myself and have nothing to do with anyone else. That's an extreme. But the other extreme is to say, I'm going to become so much like those around me that you can't tell the difference. I'm going to be secret agent Christian. And nobody's going to know that I'm a Christian by our, my, my language or by my behavior or anything else. And that's an extreme and that's a problem. Somewhere we have to learn how to reach out to those around us and welcome them and love them but still retain our standards that are revealed in God's Word. And that's what Jesus was wrestling with with these Pharisees. The Pharisees had gone too far in the direction of those who say, I can achieve closeness to God by what I do. And I will judge others by whether or not they follow the list that I follow. You see, here's the dirty little secret about the washing of hands. Nowhere in God's law was what they were saying needed to be done clearly given. Priests are mentioned in the Old Testament as required to wash their hands before certain ceremonies, but certainly not the rank and file. But the Pharisees had taken those things and added to it human traditions, and because of their human traditions, they were further and further isolating themselves from the world around them. Why does that appeal to people? I believe it appeals to people because it's nice to have somebody think for us and tell us everything that we can or can't do. Then I don't have to think. I don't have to wrestle with whether or not something's right or wrong or good or bad. If somebody tells me how to do that, then it's solved. And I don't have to think. But listen, God doesn't want unthinking followers. He doesn't want us to do things because some religious authority says this is what we're to do. He wants us to do it because God says it. We love him. We want to be obedient. Not so I can increase the way I'm viewed by other people or even the way I'm viewed by God. I'm to do it as a response of gratitude, my obedience to him. I'm to do it because I love him, because I want to please God, not because it will make him closer to me. He loves me unconditionally right where I am. 
But because of my gratitude for what He's done for me, I seek to live in obedience to Him as a thank you. That's the greatest motivator. That's what God calls us to. But the Pharisees had gotten it confused. Look at what else we find. As we come to verse 5, we find something else about legalists. When we look at the fifth verse, we find that legalists will revile anyone who doesn't participate in following their rules. Verse 5 says this, So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Now, here's the problem with the Pharisees. They were doing the straw man argument. They were saying, everybody knows that not washing your hands makes you defiled, so therefore, your disciples aren't washing their hands, they're defiled. Here's the problem. Their premise was flawed. Nothing in God's Word says that we can be defiled by not washing our hands in a ceremonial way. Nothing. And yet, here are these disciples. They're being castigated by the Pharisees because they're not doing one of the rules that had been established by the religious leadership of Israel. And you know, when I look at this, I can see us in this as well. A lot of times we'll elevate our cultural ideas on a level with Scripture. It's not written in Scripture, but because we're so used to it culturally, we'll judge people by our culture and think that we're judging them by the Word of God. It really caught my attention when I went to other countries and saw how the church operates in other countries. Many of the things that I looked at and said, okay, this is, this is a biblical principle right here. And I saw them do it differently. And then I went to the Word to find where they were wrong. And you know what I discovered? I was wrong. I had taken something that was cultural, kind of ingrained in me from my youth about how to worship or how to do this or something else, and I had made it a way of judging whether or not a person was operating biblically. And we all do that. It's so easy. Have you ever heard someone say, that's not biblical, and then you say, where's that in Scripture? I don't know, but it's in there. Right? We do that very, very often. We take our ideas, and because they're so common to us, so ingrained in the way we live, that we assume that they're biblical when they're not. This is what the Pharisees were doing. And so, what happened? They were trying to revile the followers of Jesus Christ by minutia that had come into their tradition. And they were separating and rejecting the very truth of God, the revelation of God given by Jesus Christ because they held so tightly to their tradition. And you know, this propensity on our part to want to hold on to certain minutiae that aren't even mentioned in Scripture and reject another person because of it, that's something that I think is endemic in the American church and in many other churches. We have to be careful. 
It's kind of like an old joke, and I'm sure you've probably heard this before, but it illustrates my point perfectly. A guy was walking across a bridge one day, and he saw a man standing on the edge about to jump. He ran over and said, don't. Stop it. Why shouldn't I? The world is such a wicked and corrupt place. Well, I take it by your reason for wanting to end it all that you're religious. Yes. So the guy said, well, me too. Are you a Christian or something else? Christian. Oh, me too. Are you Protestant or Catholic? Protestant. Great, me too. Are you Baptist or some other denomination? Baptist. Oh, wow, me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? Baptist Church of God. Ah, me too. Are you Baptist Church of God Reformed or are you Baptist Church of God Original? Reformed Baptist Church of God. Me too. Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation 1879 or Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation 1915? And he said, Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation 1915. To that, the fellow responded, Die, you heretic scum! And he pushed him off. We find our minutiae. We find those little things that we want to cling to and judge others by, not written in the Word of God, but yet they become so important to us that we'll reject someone out of hand because they differ. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. Focusing on the differences, rejecting the very truth of God in favor of their own rules and regulations. And that brings us to our next point. Rules that are man-made have the wrong priorities. They rely on human words and actions to be right with God. Look at what Jesus responds after The Pharisees ask the question, why don't your disciples wash their hands according to the traditions of the elders? Look at what Jesus does. He quotes Scripture. I've yet to see one Scripture referenced by what the Pharisees say. What are they talking? The traditions of the elders, the traditions of the fathers, the traditions, the traditions, the traditions. Not one Scripture referenced. What does Jesus do? Go straight to Scripture. And you know what he says? Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. You know, I wish Jesus would have just said what he really thought, huh? He didn't pull any punches, did he? Jesus looked at them and said, you are hypocrites. Now, just to make sure we're on the same page, what is a hypocrite? The word hypocrite comes from Greek theater, and it pictures for us an actor. In Greek theater, they would take a mask, and they would hold the mask in front of their face, and you've seen the masks. Some of them have a sad face. Some of them have a big smile, and they would hold them up, and the actor would speak behind the mask. That actor was a hypocrite, but it came to take on a different meaning. The meaning that started to develop for hypocrite was one who presented himself as something that he truly wasn't. The Pharisees were trying to present themselves as righteous and serious about their relationship with God. They were a cut above everyone else as far as righteousness and holiness. That was the image they wanted people to grasp. Here's the problem. Behind 
all of their rules and regulations wasn't a quest to please God and know Him in a deeper and fuller way. It was all about them and perpetuating a system that brought them into power and gave them the ability to exercise control over other people's lives. That's what it was about. Jesus could see to the heart of their motivation, and so he identified it right away. He says they're hypocrites. And then look at what he quotes from Isaiah. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Do you see what Jesus is saying is at the heart of what they're doing? Externals. Everything that they do is an empty word or action because there isn't scriptural authority behind what they're doing. Just human authority. And because of that, they replaced a relationship with God with religious ritual. And they thought that performing all of their religious rituals would somehow make them better than those around them. When in reality, there wasn't a heart relationship with God at all. And you know, that's the danger of legalism. When we start following rules and finding rules more, in people, more important than people or more important than God himself, we have a problem. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Their religious system took over a passion for God and a love for people. And as a result, they did not have a relationship with God or those around them. They were hypocrites. I love the way Isaiah presents this when he says, these people honor me with their lips. Oh, they could talk a great religious game. They could say spiritual things that would have people hear it and say, wow, that's the most godly thing I've ever heard. What a godly person. Listen to how flowery they talk. Listen to how impressive. They can use all kinds of wonderful theological words. They sound like they have a great education. You know, that's kind of where people were. They were impressed with the sound, and the Pharisees were impressed with the sound of their own voice. They love to speak to one another in those terms and have one another say, yes, yes, isn't that wonderful? But it was empty. While God may have been on their lips, he was far from their heart. God wants us to have a personal relationship with him, not to be locked into a religious system where we just come and punch in our spiritual time card at church and maybe do a couple of spiritual things on the side, and maybe have a list of do's and don'ts. God's not interested in that. God is interested in a heart of passion that says, I love God. I want to know Him. I want to serve Him. And listen, religion can replace that relationship with God all too easily. That's what happened here. Jesus said, they worship me in vain. You know, when I saw this, I started thinking, how often have I been in church worshiping and God was the furthest thing from my mind? Yeah, I'm saying the words. I can read the screens. 
I might even hit a couple of notes if I'm lucky or if those around me are lucky. But is it from the heart? Am I really thinking about what I'm doing? Isn't it easy to fall into a form of worship without the heart behind it? This was something that the Pharisees had made a practice. They were people who worshipped God in vain. And look at the next statement there in that seventh verse. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. No scriptural authority. They spend more time talking about the minutia and the traditions that they had made up in their religious system than they spent talking about God himself. The priorities were wrong. And that's what human tradition and legalism does. As a matter of fact, Jesus goes on to say that the legalist replaces God's word with man-made rules. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, you have let go the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. You know, I find that statement disturbing. They had let go of the commands of God. In other words, it was more important to them that they followed a ritualistic, man-made religion than it was to know the one true God and to follow the revelation that God had given. It's frightening how easy that is for us as Christians to fall into. Let our favorite pastor or speaker say something, and it's easy for us to say, well, I trust what he said, so I don't need to really look that up. If he said it, it must be so. And then that's what happens. People start to get off track. They start to look to men rather than God. And they start to look to man-made rules rather than to God himself. And I believe that it's a satanic deception. Satan has learned through the years, add to what God has said, and man will swallow it hook, line, and sinker. Make it sound religious. It's only for your good. This is so you can take it to the next level. But in reality, it's false teaching. And it leads people astray. And so that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were building a religious system of rules that had no relationship with God whatsoever. And Jesus took a stand against it. He said no. And he called them out on it. Where they had been calling people out on tradition, Jesus called them out on their teaching. And their teaching didn't match up with God's truth. Something else we need to consider. The legalist will refrain from obeying God by obeying man instead. And when we come to verses 9 through 12, you know what we find? We find that this righteous living that they were seeking was totally corrupted by man-made loopholes. You know, there are a lot of people that will take their Bibles and just look for loopholes. I want to do this. Surely there's a text that tells me I can. So they hunt until they find it. Wrong. The Word of God is God's revelation. 
Not a rule book that I can go through and say, where's my loophole to do what I wanted to do all along? That's not the idea. But this is what the Pharisees did. Look at verse 9. He said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And here's his example. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. Then look at what the Pharisees were doing, verse 11. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might have received from me, otherwise is korban, that is, a gift devoted to God. So let's talk about what's going on. God's word is very clear, honor your father and mother. By honor your father and mother, that doesn't just mean, oh, I say good things about them on Mother's Day and Father's Day. That's not the idea. Honoring your father and mother means that, number one, you speak well of them, but secondly, you minister to their needs physically if they need you. That's honoring your father and mother. You contribute to their need. That's the idea. Now, here's what the Pharisees had set up. If you don't want to help your mother and father financially, have we got a deal for you. Take whatever money that would have been available for your parents and set it aside as belonging to God. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to immediately take it over to the temple and hand it over. You're free to use that until you die. Chances are mom and dad will go before you, so then all bets are off and the money's yours. You see what they were doing? They built a rule to ignore what God had said in his word. It was sleazy. It was rotten. But they did it. And they took what God had intended in the most basic of the commandments, and they set it aside in favor of their own law and their own tradition. That disgusts God. He finds it repulsive when we decide to excuse ourselves by making rules that would trump what God has revealed in his word. But that's exactly what they were doing. They were coming to the place to where they were saying, we can make whatever rules we want to offset God. And here's the amazing thing. Look at the 12th and 12th verse, it says, Then you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother. It, it, it came to the place to where they had set this rule up in such a way that it exempted them from caring for their parents. And then we come to the 13th verse. And in the 13th verse, what we find is respecting human tradition rather than God's word was the way they operated. Because look at verse 13. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Now, it's that first part of the 13th verse that I find amazing. You nullify the word of God. You know what it means to nullify? It means you make it as though it's nothing to you. You are saying, in essence, we're setting this aside to replace it with this. That's what legalists do. 
they take their own rules and elevate it. And where there's an inconvenient contradiction with God's revelation, they explain the revelation away, but they hold tight to the rules. And notice Jesus said, you do this with many things. He gave one example of many. Here's what we find in this text. Legalism is something that is dangerous, hurtful to our relationship with God. The making of rules that are based on human tradition, human ideas, without regard for God's revelation, will lead us down a path that leads us away from God, not closer to Him. Many well-meaning people who want to live for God will listen to the rules of the legalist, and they'll get confused. And they'll think that by observing these traditions and rules that aren't even mentioned in the Word of God, that somehow I can become closer. But what they find is they become more and more distant. They don't understand the grace that God has given them. They don't understand that the law that God gives us is based on deepening our relationship with Him, because each law reveals an aspect of who God is and what He's like. They just see it as more rules, and what's the harm in adding rules to rules? And that's where the confusion comes in. God wants us to have a close relationship with Him based on the truth that He's revealed. So we need to ask ourselves when we start to do something, is this a tradition Or can I find Scripture to support this idea? And not because I'm ripping stuff out of context and finding loopholes, but because the Word of God truly says this. That's the way we need to operate. When we lead a church, we need to lead it in the same way. Do we do things as a church body because, hey, that's the way we've always done it? Or do we do it because there's a scriptural encouragement to do so? Do we refrain from doing things because, hey, it's more convenient or because God tells us to refrain from it? These questions are questions that as believers we need to wrestle with. God wants us to be thinking followers and our thoughts are to be guided by what God has revealed, not guided by tradition, our culture, or our preferences but guided by God himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder in the text, this reminder that shares with us the importance of following you, of learning to follow your revelation that you've given us so clearly in your word and building our lives on that truth. Guard us from following the traditions of man. Teach us, Lord to live righteous lives, not so we can gain more of your love. You've already given us your love completely. But, Father, out of gratitude for what you've done for us, that we might worship you and lift up your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.